1: This is the Thoughts From a Page podcast, and my name is Cindy Burnett. Each episode, I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. This is my last episode of 2021, and I want to thank each and every one of you who listened to my podcast this year. I really appreciate your support. I also wanna say a huge thanks to the scores of people who have shared about the podcast on social media. Your posts have really helped this show grow. Last, thanks to everyone who reviewed my podcast on any platform. I read every one of my reviews and they always make me so happy. In addition to helping my show grow by pushing the show up in all of the various algorithms, the reviews are also on my website and I rotate highlighting various ones on the front page of my website. They mean a lot to me, so thanks for taking the time to post a review. My very last thanks goes to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group, who has sponsored my podcast for the last six months. Her generous support allowed me to outsource some of the -the behind-the-scenes items so that I could focus on the podcast's content. Thank you, Maggie. Today, I am chatting with one of my recurring guests, Elizabeth Barnhill. We are chatting about one of our favorite genres, historical fiction, and the books that have stayed with us in that genre. Elizabeth is the book buyer for the independent bookstore in Waco, Texas, Fabled Bookshop and Cafe. She graduated from Baylor University and worked for 20 years as a speech pathologist before turning her lifelong passion of reading and books into her dream job when Fabled opened in 2019. Elizabeth spends her days reading as many upcoming releases as possible and hosting events at Fabled. You can find her on Bookstagram at Waco Reads. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great, Cindy. How are you? I am great, and I'm so glad you're here. We have not chatted books in a while, and so I'm really looking forward to this discussion and and the books that we think are wonderful historical fiction books to recommend to people.
0: Yes, I had fun kind of going down memory lane, thinking about all my favorites over the years.
1: I did too, and in fact, my list changed and changed, and even once I told you I had it finalized, I made about three more changes this morning. So it's hard to narrow it down. 15 seems like a lot until you actually sit down and try to make your selections.
0: Yeah, I think we'll have to do a part two at some point because mine I definitely had to call down at
1: least by half. Yes, I think a part two would be very welcome at some point. (laughs) I feel like 2021 has been an amazing year for books. And so I'm really looking forward to 2022 as well. There are so many books coming out. And I know you're feeling the same way, starting to try to dive into them.
0: Yes, it's kind of quiet right now in the book industry. Not a whole lot of books are coming out. So I'm eagerly anticipating the beginning of the new year. I already have a five-star book that comes out the first week of January, and I can hardly wait to talk about
1: it. That's a great way to start the new year. For sure. (laughs) So for today's historical fiction list, we decided not to talk about any book that had come out in 2021, but instead to look back a little farther. So they could have come out any time period prior to 2021. I think you have some that go back farther than mine, but I think my oldest one is maybe 10 years ago. But we just kind of went through and picked books that we love to talk about and that we still think about and that we like to recommend to people.
0: Yeah, I think most of mine are from maybe the last decade. I do have one from the 1980s that I still think about frequently, especially in the wintertime.
1: Oh, now I'm so curious to hear what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we get started? We'll alternate like we always do, and you can go first.
0: My first selection is The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. This book is set in Australia in 1926. I have several books on my list that are set in Australia. That is, for some reason, it is a setting that really speaks to me. This book was just gorgeously written I felt this impending sense of doom and heartache throughout the entire book. I couldn't wait to put it in my friend's hands just to have someone else to talk to about this book. Uh, so it does take place um, after World War I. We have Tom Sherborne, who was a fighter or soldier in the war and decides he wants to work at a lighthouse. So he gets the job as a lighthouse keeper on Janice Rock which is, I think, about a day's journey by boat from the shore of Australia. He finds a beautiful, young, loving wife named Isabel to marry, and they start their life on Janice Rock, on the lighthouse. So everything is going swimmingly well, and then Isabel starts having several miscarriages, and she's just utterly devastated and wants to have a baby so badly. Well, one day... She is working on Janice Rock and she hears a baby crying and the boat kind of runs ashore and there is a baby in this boat and a dead man. So she immediately just feels like this was fate. She, she adores this child. Her husband, Tom, is a meticulous record keeper and he was about to write in his log what happened and Isabel begs him not to because she wants to to have this baby, and she's been away from civilization long enough no one would even know. Well, of course, as you can imagine, drama ensues, and I just, I loved it. I would recommend it to anybody. That is The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman.
1: I love that one as well, and it actually was on my list until this morning, (laughs) and I was really debating back and forth, so I'm actually glad it came off since you're talking about it, because it's a wonderful recommendation I loved it. One of my girls actually had to read it for school, and she really loved it. It's just a beautiful book. Agreed. So my first book is As Bright as Heaven by Susan Meissner. I love her books. She is one of the queens of historical fiction, and she has written a number of really great books. But As Bright as Heaven is my favorite of hers. As Bright as Heaven tackles the Spanish flu epidemic that struck the United States in 1918 and 1919, an event we all are too sadly familiar with at this point, set in Philadelphia Meissner's tale is fascinating and heartbreaking. Her characters are so well-developed and authentic, and I just felt like they were people that I would spend time with myself. Using the four bright females as narrators, the family's name is Bright, she unfurls their various stories slowly as the pages fly by. Each female character has a very distinct personality, and I love that she chose the perfect individual to reveal a particular secret or a particular fact. In her author's note, Meissner states that the Spanish flu was one of the deadliest diseases in history, significantly worse than the Black Plague. And she chose it because it was an untold story, which it was when her book first came out. This book is a particularly timely read today, as we have all endured our own pandemic in the last couple of years. And I feel like that there are so many points that she makes and different stories about the Spanish flu that are relevant to what we're going through today. And I just think about it all the time, and I love it, and I really recommend it.
0: Well, that one was on my list too, but that's okay because my next selection, I cheated and made it two for one. So, Oh, good. I loved that one too. And I learned a lot about why we needed to have social distancing because of that book. So yeah, I, it's one I think about quite a bit as well. Good choice.
1: Thank you. Yes. You know, it was one of those that I loved it when I initially read it, but I really love it even more now. And I should probably go back and reread it with everything we've been through.
0: Yes. And I, I think I've told you before, but Susan Meisner is my go-to favorite historical fiction author. I'll read anything she writes, and I always learn so
1: much from her books. I knew she was. And then you just did one of your Thursday thoughts about her most recent book.
0: Yes, I actually talked about it today. The Nature of Fragile Things was one of my favorite books of this year. And that took place during the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, and it was fabulous.
1: Yes, it was. And again, taught me so much about a time period that I didn't know nearly as much about as I now do after I finished her book.
0: So my next selection is a two for one. That is the Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Richardson and Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. These books were released in twenty nineteen and there was a bit of a controversy because both books kind of had a similar theme. Both of them were set in Appalachia during the Depression and both of the main characters were librarians who were on horseback and brought books to the poor people in Appalachia while on horseback so they would go and bring a book to somebody or a magazine and let them enjoy it and then come back a week later to change out the books so i actually for my personal book club we did both of these books and kind of compared and contrasted them there there is thought that perhaps Jojo jo Moyes took some information from the book, Woman of Troublesome Creek, but it's not been proven. And I don't think that really went anywhere, but it's kind of interesting, the similarities. Uh, so it's kind of fun to read both of them and and decide for yourself. But I gave both of them five stars. In my opinion, I felt like the book, Woman of Troublesome Creek was actually more about the the blue people of Kentucky, where there's some kind of a a DNA issue where this certain family had a bluish tint to them. And Cussie is the the main character, and she is a blue person living in Kentucky. And I felt like that had a little more of an indie feel to it, where Giver of Stars was a little more commercial. But I really can't tell you which one I loved more. And I loved both books with the the main characters in both of the books so much. So I recommend both of them, and they're both on my favorites of forever
1: list. <laughs> My next one is The Book Thief by Markus Zusak, and I'm realizing as I'm mentioning it that it is definitely more than a decade old. I think maybe it came out in the mid-2000s, but it's definitely been more than 10 years, so I misspoke earlier. But this is one of my all-time favorite books, actually. So The Book Thief is set in 1939 Nazi Germany. By her brother's graveside, Liesel's life is changed when she picks up a single object, partially hidden in the snow. It is a gravedigger's handbook left behind there by accident, and it is her first act of book thievery. So begins a love affair with books and words as Liesel, with the help of her recording playing foster father, learns to read. Soon she's stealing books from Nazi book burnings, the mayor's wife's library, and wherever else there are books to be found. What I really liked about this book is that it's told from the unique perspective of death. I found it to be a stunning and evocative masterpiece. His characters are courageous, and his story focuses on everyday people enduring Nazi rule in a small town outside of Munich and the power of books in the written word. I always love stories that deal with the power of books and the written word. Frequently chilling and often heartbreaking, the novel doesn't shy away from describing the horrors of war. However, it ultimately champions the human spirit and its refusal to be cowed by evil. The Book Thief is a tale that I will never forget, and it remains one of the best books I've ever read. I just absolutely loved it.
0: I love that one too. I I love the unique way it was told. I love that it was and that it was narrated by death. I listened to this book on audio with my children in the car and they loved it on a road trip when they were little. So it's one that's near and dear to my heart as well.
1: Both of my girls have read it and loved it. And then we all went to see the movie together. And it's one of the few times where I felt like the movie actually did a pretty good job with the book.
0: Mm -hmm. And I also love that it's Seems like all three of my children, that was required reading during one of their English classes in middle school. So I think that's a whole lot more fun than some of the other books that are traditionally required reading for that age group.
1: I agree completely.
0: All right. My next book is Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. I read this book, I guess it came out four or five years ago. And it reminded me of the book Roots by Alex Haley, which is a lifetime, maybe top- Three or four books that I've ever read. So, one thing I love in historical fiction is multi generational stories where you see what happens with one generation, and then the next generation takes over, then the next generation, and that's what we find in Homegoing. So, it starts off in the eighteenth century in Ghana, and there are two half sisters named Effia and Essie who are born in this village, Effia is married off to an Englishman and lives in comfort in the palatial rooms of a Cape Coastal castle. What Afia does not know is that her half-sister Essie is imprisoned beneath that castle while she lives there and sold into slavery. So in the story, it goes from Ghana to the South during the Civil War talks about the great migration. It talks about the coal mining industry in Pratt City, Alabama. Y'all Jesse actually immigrated to Alabama when she was young. And also it talks about the jazz clubs uh, in Harlem and goes all the way up to present day. And I loved seeing the impact of each generation on the next, which was very similar to Roots to me. So I love Homegoing, if you've read it, I recommend Roots by Alex Haley. If you've read Roots and loved it, I would recommend
1: Homegoing by Yaa Gyasi. I always hear how good that book is, and I need to get to it. So my next is The Chanel Sisters by Judith Little, which just barely qualified because it came out like on two days before 2021. But I loved it, so I'm going to include it. This gorgeously written book chronicles the lives of Antoinette and Gabrielle Coco Chanel from their early years at the convent orphanage in Abazine, France. Their time at the orphanage left such a lasting impression on both girls and forged determination in Coco to create a better life for herself and to seek entree into the upper crust society who refused to accept her. From the days of their hat shop at Rue Cambon in Paris to the years after the war, Little tells the story through the eyes of Antoinette, detailing their friendships, their romances, and their successes in the fashion business. I love that in her author's note, Little includes engaging tidbits about Coco Chanel's inspiration for her iconic double C logo, which recreated the interlocking loops in Abazine stained glass, and for her jewelry, which copied the patterns found on the orphanage's stone floors, and the rosaries worn by the nuns. I just thought this book was beautifully written. I loved the focus on Antoinette because I didn't even know Coco had a sister. And I just felt like she recreated their world and how the business came about. And all of these details about Coco's early years that then come out in her business and later years and Chanel and some of the different things that I referenced before. So I just think it's a wonderful read and I tell people to read it all the time.
0: I love that book too. I I thought it was so well done. I learned so much. And one of my very dear friends is kind of very fashion forward and I (laughs) gave her my copy and it was her favorite book of last year. So it was when, and she actually picked it for our personal book club as well. So that's a, a great recommendation.
1: Oh, that's good to hear um, that somebody that actually is really into fashion enjoyed it as well. I could see where you would learning all of that about Chanel's younger year, stuff that she really kept hidden.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. My next book is Those Who Save Us by Jenna Blum. This book came out maybe 10 to 15 years ago. It is set during World War II, which is quite the hot commodity, (laughs) World War II fiction. But of all of the World War II fiction I have ever read, historical fiction, this is my favorite. And I sell this book almost more than any other at Fabled. We can hardly keep it in the store, which is unusual for a book that is as old as it is. The story is about a woman named Anna Schlemmer, And she is a German woman at the beginning of World War II, and she finds herself pregnant with a Jewish man's baby. And as things slowly begin to get worse and worse, the conditions deteriorate in Germany, uh, you find out what she has to do to save herself, as the title indicates. And it is brutal, and it is very tough to read. But I was so moved by this story. So we find Anna Schlemmer, we hear her backstory, but much of the book takes place 50 years later where she's got a daughter named Trudy and Trudy really doesn't understand her mother very much. Her mother's very quiet. It just, it's sort of a heartbreaking story. You see, I think she moves to Montana or somewhere in the the northern parts of America. She she winds up marrying a, a serviceman and how the town treats her is just heartbreaking. I don't know. It sounds like very, very sad and heartbreaking, but I loved it. I, It's one of the best books I've ever read. Top 10 favorite books of my lifetime. That's Those Who Save Us by Jenna
1: Blum. Well, that's very big praise then if it's one of your top 10 reads.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I just recommend it to anybody.
1: Have you read her latest book, her memoir, Woodrow on the Bench? I have not. Now I am reading. I'm about halfway
0: through the audio audiobook of Storm Chasers, which is another one of her books. But I've not read her latest.
1: The only one I have read is this memoir, and I loved it. I interviewed her for the podcast, actually, and she's delightful. It was such an interesting conversation.
0: Well, I hope that she knows how much Fabled Bookshop sells her book.
1: <laughs> so yes, well, that's that's very high praise. <laughs> so my next book is by one of my favorite historical fiction authors, who's Hazel Gainer. I've read almost every book she's written and loved them all, and my favorite of hers is The Cottingley Secret. So this is about those two girls in the 1920s in England who photographed the fairies. So for years I have been fascinated with these girls. Anytime there's a story written about them, I read it. I just find it, especially in our day and age, hard to imagine that they fooled everybody, that they, you know, had these photographs and everybody actually felt that they had captured fairies on film. While I was familiar with the basic facts of the case or the event, Hazel brings their story to life, including the role of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in convincing people that the fairies were real. He went to visit them and looked at the photographs and pronounced they were authentic and then wrote some article about it in a magazine and that really kind of led everyone to believe that these photos were real. In her dual timeline narrative, Olivia lives in the present day, and after the recent loss of her grandfather, she returns to Ireland to manage the bookshop she inherited from her grandfather. She finds a manuscript written by Frances Griffiths and slowly becomes fascinated with the girl's tale. The second story begins in 1917, when Frances and her mother come to stay with Elsie and her family during the Great War. The girls form a close bond, and when Frances believes she sees fairies, she confides in Elsie, who concocts the idea that the girls should actually photograph the fairies, and the tale takes off from there. Gaynor was able to meet and speak at length with Francis's daughter, which really added depth to the story and authenticity. I loved immersing myself in this enchanting and intriguing tale and learning more about the manner in which the girls fooled the world. Like I said before, I have just always found this to be such an intriguing and fascinating story, and I was so glad that she wrote about it.
0: I read her book last year. Is it Once We Were Brave?
1: When We Were Young and Brave?
0: Yes, When We Were Young and Brave. It was really good. She's a She's a great... Author,
1: that one was really good too, and in fact, it was almost on my list. But because there are so many World War II stories, and I have a variety on my list, and the Cottingley Secrets kind of a different time period, a different issue that some people aren't as familiar with, I went ahead and went with that one.
0: I think that was a good choice, and I we have it on our shelves, and I'm, I always look at it and think I need to pick that one up because it sounds so delightful.
1: I agree. And it's just amazing that she was actually able to talk to Francis's daughter. To me that, you know, she was able to look at the photos that she had and kind of hear the story from her perspective. I thought that was really cool.
0: Love it. All right. My next one is The Winter Rose by Jennifer Donnelly. This is an odd choice since this is the second book in a trilogy. They're called The Rose Trilogy. But I read this one first. And This one is my favorite of the three, and I don't think it does any disservice to read this one first. This is set in 1900 in the East End of London. The main character's name is India Selwyn Jones, and she's a go getter woman who is, I think, the first woman doctor to go through her program. She's a very wealthy woman, but decides, to the sadness of her family, to work in the poorest, scariest part of London the East End, which is was famously where Jack the Ripper did a lot of his damage and around the same time period. So she is taking on women's issues and trying to to better the lives of these poor people in East London. And there she meets London's most notorious gangster, Sid Malone. He is hard and violent, but very attractive. I'm kind of the opposite of India, who is very aristocratic and and proper. Well, romance ensues, and um, I love the story of I love the historic romance and the actual tale of what India tries to do to help the people in East London. Every time I see this book on our shelves, it makes me so happy, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's The Winter Rose by Jennifer Donnelly.
1: I think this one you recommended when Christina and I visited Fable not that long ago. It's a really big book, isn't it?
0: It's very, very thick. Yes.
1: I was not familiar with it till you pointed it out then. So I need to add those to my list.
0: Jennifer Donnelly is compared a lot with Susanna Kersley. I don't know if you read much of her books. One of them may or may not be on my list. (laughs) We'll have to see. But I I just found them thoroughly enjoyable.
1: Okay, good. Well, my next one's a big book as well. It's Dragonfly by Leila Meacham. So I absolutely love this book. And the year that it came out, I was hyping it to everybody. I just think it is so well done. It's another World War II story, something that I just clearly gravitate toward. And this is probably one of my very favorite World War II stories. I just loved the world she created, occupied Paris, just everything that was happening in the story. It was very, very well done. So Layla's incredible World War II saga chronicles a fictional team of young Americans recruited as OSS agents to infiltrate Nazi-occupied Paris. The team is codenamed Dragonfly, and upon arrival in Paris, they disperse and set about fulfilling their unique missions while pursuing their own individual agendas. The genius of Dragonfly is Meacham's ability to vividly portray German-occupied Paris and the treachery that constantly existed for those working to thwart Hitler and the Nazis. Her novel frequently proves the maxim, the best-laid plans will often go awry, as each agent must quickly and intelligently adjust to the challenges and unexpected issues that regularly arise. It's a clever, suspenseful, and character-driven novel. Dragonfly is a tour de force and a fabulous addition to the World War II subgenre of historical fiction.
0: She, that author, may or may not be on my list as well.
1: (laughs) I figured she might be with her other series, which I haven't read, but I just absolutely love this one.
0: All right. Well, my next book is The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein. This was one of my top two favorite books of 2020. And it just came out in paperback this year, and I sell it as often as I can. So Christina Baker Klein was very interested in Australian history. And there's a very interesting small time frame in the 1800s where Australia is a was a penal colony for England. So all of the, the thieves and, and criminals were shipped to Australia. Well, they realized after a while what they need were women there as well to help populate the country, the continent. So a lot of women who were accused of petty thefts were shipped to Australia to serve their time there and to help populate the continent. So in this story, our main character is Evangeline. She's just a naive governess and kind of falls into a relationship with the son of her employer. The mother is not very happy about that and accuses Evangeline of a crime she did not commit. So she goes to prison and is shipped to Australia. She there meets several women who were also accused of petty thefts, and I love the friendships in the story. There's a moment in the middle of a story that will make you gasp out loud. It reminded me a little of Les Miserables, a little of The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton, and I just loved it. I could not put this book down. It is stunningly
1: fabulous. I think that book is probably one of the number one books that was recommended by authors when they come on my podcast, kind of a window of time around the time that it came out. Over and over again, they were recommending that one.
0: Oh, it's just so good.
1: So I have another older book. So clearly, I wasn't paying attention to the time frame on my books because this one is The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. I'm sure this book is familiar to many people, but I just absolutely loved it. So I went ahead and included it. I'm a huge fan of books told in epistolary format. Guernsey, an island off the coast of England, was occupied by the Germans during World War II for a lengthy period of time. Schaefer brings the occupation to life through letters written right after the war ends between a female writer named Juliet Ashton and a resident of Guernsey named Dossie Adams. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society is a book club consisting of a group of island residents which was created spur of the moment when several Guernsey residents are found breaking the curfew set by the Germans. Juliet is enthralled with everything about the book club its reading choices, its offbeat members, and what life was like on the island under German occupation. Schaefer focuses on the strength of the human spirit and the importance of community, especially in dark times. Schaefer died before the book was published, and her niece, Annie Barrows, of Ivy and Bean fame, If You Have Girls, helped complete the book and get it out into the world. And this is another book where I felt that the movie was decently well done. It has to be hard to translate a book that's written in letters to a movie, but I thought they did a good job.
0: I did too. I watched the movie twice. I I was going to say that when you mentioned it. I thought this is one of those rare books that is just as good in the movies.
1: I agree completely. It's always one of those movies that I want to watch again.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I watched it with my husband and I watched it with my daughter and anybody else who wants to watch it, come watch it with me.
1: We'll have a big watching party in Waco. There
0: you go. All right. My next book is A Thousand Splendid Suns by Khaled Hosseini. He wrote three books that I'm aware of uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. The first one is The Kite Runner, which is his most famous book. Then A Thousand Splendid Suns. And then As the Mountains Echoed. Of the three books, this one is far and away my favorite one. It really talks a whole lot more about the plight of Afghan women which is very, very relevant today. It's a 30-year time frame that this book spans from the Soviet invasion to the reign of the Taliban to post-Taliban rebuilding. I just was deeply moved by the story of these women, and I think it's almost required reading right now to really get a, a sense as to what is going on in Afghanistan.
1: I've heard such great things about that one, but I'm always worried it's going to be a little grim or a lot grim.
0: Well, I think it is, but I think it's just reality. And I think it's important for us to really kind of see what is actually going on and what life is like for these women. It's, it's hard to read, but I think it's important.
1: No, I think you're right. And I think that is actually an interesting way to learn what's happening, you know, through story, because I think it just brings kind of that whole world to life and is a little more engaging than reading an article or a nonfiction book about it. I agree. So the next book is one of my all-time favorites as well. It's called The Last Days of Night by Graham Moore. Have you read it? I've never heard of it. Ah, It's really, really good. So as the book opens, George Westinghouse and Thomas Edison are in the midst of a massive battle over who owns the light bulb, and therefore who will have the ability to electrify the United States. Both men are fighting for the right to have their name linked to this great invention. Westinghouse hires a young attorney named Paul Cravath to represent him in the numerous lawsuits brought by Edison. Over 300 lawsuits were brought by Edison about this issue, related to the ownership of who owned the light bulb. Moreover, Westinghouse and Edison are battling over which type of current, direct, or alternating will prevail. Moore incorporates so many fascinating facts related to the dispute and its effect on our world, including the attorney, Paul Cravath, who's responsible for the law firm hierarchy system that still exists today, all of the details relating to Nikola Tesla and his role in the electricity process and the references to Henry Ford and the fact that he worked early on for both Edison and Westinghouse, something that I wasn't aware of. Moore also manages to convey what the advent of electric light meant to our society. Factories and businesses are no longer bound by when the sun rises and sets. Crime is diminished in public areas at night, and day and night are no longer so distinct. Each chapter cleverly begins with a quote that is relevant to the subject of that chapter, which I thought was a wonderful addition. The book is a huge page-turner, and I recommend it all the time, and not a single person has come back and said they didn't like it. It's just one of those, it reads like a thriller, but it's historical fiction. Well, I'm going to have to add that to my TBR. I think you would really like it. It's just so fascinating. How how old do you think it is? Yeah, I have to guess on that, too. Probably, probably 10 years old. I'm terrible with timing, but it's been around for a while. He had a book come out. In the last few years, it was a... The Holdout? Yes, The Holdout with the telephone on the cover. And I didn't like that nearly as well because I kind of figured out parts of it or whatever. But this one, I think, is just amazing. And I think also he's written some screenplays or something else like that. He also wrote The Sherlockian, which is one that I really, really enjoyed. Well, he's a wonderful writer, and it's just such an interesting subject matter.
0: Very good. All right, my next one is... uh, very, very high on my lifetime favorites list. It is The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton. I read this book when it came out. This was my first Kate Morton book. And I thought, oh my gracious, I want to read everything this woman has ever (laughs) written or will ever write. At the beginning of the story, again, this is an Australian novel. At the beginning of the story, there is a foundling, a little girl who shows up on a ship set from from England to Australia. She's all by herself. And that's the the beginning of the story. So we've got this foundling. We have an old book of dark fairy tales, a secret garden, an aristocratic family, a love denied, and a mystery. And that takes place mostly in the past. In the present time, we have Cassandra, who has just lost her dear grandmother, Nell, who she dearly, dearly loved. Nell um, dies and leaves Cassandra her dark fairy tales written by Eliza Makepeace. So Cassandra really wants to learn more about the mystery, and she kind of follows what happened years and years ago. And I, I loved it. The, the writing is stunning. I finished it and thought this is one of the, the very best books I've ever read. And I stand by that to this day. That's The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton.
1: I love Kate Morton and her books. And I didn't include it because I knew you would. <laughs> and so I figured you could talk about it. And I just chime in and say, yes, that's a wonderful book. And I actually really like all of her books. And I was thinking while I was making this list that she hasn't had a new book come out in a while.
0: Well, she wrote The Clockmaker's Daughter a couple of years ago, and maybe it was last year.
1: Yeah, I think it was like three years ago because it was definitely pre-pandemic, and I actually saw her speak at Book Expo about that book, so maybe it was two years ago. I actually really liked it, but I know I'm in the minority. I thought that book was great. Like I said, I just like all of her books, but I did hear her speak about it before I read it. And explained kind of where she got the idea and what she was trying to accomplish. So I wonder if that kind of framed it up a little bit differently for me.
0: It could be, and it it may have been a couple of years ago. But for me, my favorite Kate Morton books are *The Forgotten Garden* and *The Secret Keeper*. None of them have come close, in my opinion. Are uh, they just actually? I would just say they are my favorites. A lot of people like *The Distant Hours* as well. *The Lake House* and *Clockmaker's Daughter* are maybe not quite as well-received as the earlier stuff, but
1: I'm a Kate Morton fan for life. I agree completely with what you're saying. I just happen to, like I said, to be kind of in that small minority, but I do, I've often wondered if it was because I heard her talk about it, but I hope she will come back with a new book sometime soon. Me too. So my next one is The Lost Letter by Jillian Cantor. This is another World War II story. As you can tell, I love World War II. Jillian fashions an intriguing and fascinating tale of resistance to the Nazis while highlighting the innovative ways resistance workers used to evacuate Jews from Austria. Christoph is a young apprentice to a master Jewish stamp engraver. When his teacher disappears during Kristallnacht, Christoph is forced to engrave stamps for the Germans, and simultaneously works alongside Elena, his beloved teacher's fiery daughter, and with the Austrian resistance to send underground messages and forge papers. This book is inspired by actual events, And it focuses on stamp engravers who helped the Austrian resistance by sending covert messages in postage stamp designs and forging papers for Jews trying to leave the country. I thought this was just absolutely fascinating. They could actually incorporate designs into postage stamps, which obviously were made a little differently than they're made now because they were handmade then. But what a clever idea and what a way to get things by the Nazis. She also uses a dual timeline format, World War II and the present, and ties them together seamlessly in one of the best examples that I've ever seen of weaving two timelines together. Sometimes that works really well, and sometimes it doesn't, and she just did a master job here. But it's just a beautiful book, and I absolutely loved it.
0: I'm not familiar with that one either.
1: She has a new book coming out in January that's on the Indie Next list, and it's a Gatsby retelling, I think.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yes. What is it called? Great Goddesses? I'm not sure because I'm not really a Gatsby person, so I haven't read it. But it's got a great cover, but it's just not really on my list. But I did think she did a beautiful job in The Lost Letter. My next book is The Winter Sea by Susanna Kersley. I knew that was going to be on your list. <laughs> I was like, I know it's coming.
0: Yes, <laughs> I I two, two of my favorites I have the word winter in the title. I read this book. I remember I was in the car pickup line for my children when they were in elementary school. So it's been a long time. But it was one of those where I thought, I just need y'all to not get in my car for a little bit because I've got to finish this book. Um, this was my first book by Susanna Kersley. I've read several since then. But this is far and away my favorite. It's got a gorgeous cover, a redheaded woman's back on the cover. And we sell quite a few at Fabled. If you come to the store, just rest assured I will try to put this one in your hands. So it's kind of a hard one to describe. It's it's a dual timeline. There is a woman named Carrie McClelland who is an author. She wants to write a story about the Jacobite Revolution that took place in the early 1700s. She had a an ancestor in her family who was alive at that time, so she decides she's going to immerse herself in the, the atmosphere. So she goes to Slain's Castle in Scotland to write the story. So she starts writing what she believes is a fictitious tale, and she quickly finds out that actually the things she's writing about actually happened. So she's kind of wondering if this is sort of an ancestral memory. Um, how in the world is she writing these things out of her brain that actually occurred. So there is a wonderful romance in this story. Great history, great atmosphere. I loved this book so much. And I will say I was very excited that she had a follow-up to the story called The Vanishing Days that published this fall. And it was not one that I really enjoyed, sadly. So I would probably steer you clear of that one, but just enjoy The Winter Sea for what it is, a standalone, fabulous novel.
1: I have read a couple of her books, her older ones, and really liked them. I haven't liked her newer ones as well either. My next one is The Lost Vintage by Anne Ma. Now clearly I do love World War II because every single one of these books I feel like is another World War II story. So The Lost Vintage is a beautifully crafted tale focusing on the French resistance during and after the war. In the present day tale, Kate is studying to pass the Master of Wine Examination and travels to her family's estate in Burgundy to attempt to master their Burgundian vintages. While there, she uncovers a hidden room filled with World War II resistance pamphlets, and a vast amount of valuable wine. Spurred on by her discovery, Kate delves into her family's past and uncovers a great aunt named Helene, who was expunged from the family's history because she had been labeled a collaborator following the war. Ma's novel addresses the way France dealt with collaborators, particularly women, following the war, and the way these women were treated once denounced as collaborators, with or without evidence. Once they were denounced, they were immediately punished without any kind of trial much of the time. Ma also writes an in-depth article for Time Magazine that came out about the same time about the subject matter, and it serves as a great companion piece to the book, I think. Sounds great. It is great, and it has the really beautiful cover as well. I'm
0: a sucker for a good cover. I do judge books by their cover. And you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next book is The Shoemaker's Wife by Adriana Trigiani. I adore this author. She wrote the Big Stone Gap series, which I just absolutely poured through, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. Uh, this is just a wonderful, sweeping, epic historical fiction that begins in the early 1900s in Italy. And we meet Enza, and I think it's Ciro, C-I-R-O is the name of the Senate. I'm not Italian. Is that Ciro or Ciro? Maybe I'll call her Ciro. Or Cairo? Oh, mercy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to call him Chiro, and y'all just know I'm speaking Texan. Exactly. They lived near each other when they were children, but eventually Chiro moves, both of them move to, to New York City. Chiro becomes a shoemaker. Enza becomes, uh, she works at a factory in Hoboken, New Jersey. They, they find themselves in love and they get married. Chiro winds up fighting in World War I. Then they wind up eventually settling in northern Minnesota. So this book is just a very good example to me of a sweeping epic story that spans a century and several continents and war. And it was just beautifully, beautifully written. I gave it five stars and I love to sell this little beauty.
1: I have read that one as well and really love it. And she has a new one coming out next year.
0: She does. It's coming. comes out in April. I'm making myself wait to read April new releases, but I'm looking at it right now.
1: It sounds really good as well. So my next is a post-World War II story, so at least I have left the war a little bit, and that's Miss Graham's Cold War Cookbook by Celia Reese. This tale is set in Germany following World War II and follows Brit Edith Graham as she joins the Control Commission, an entity that hires civilians to rebuild war-torn Germany. Edith is tasked with setting up schools and she is not welcomed by the Germans she is trying to help. Before she leaves London, she is recruited by the OSS to spy while in Germany and send back intelligence through recipes she gathers as she travels. However, when Edith arrives, she realizes that many of the people in occupied Germany are not at all what they seem. Reese brings the post-war country to life, the devastation, the rush to find war criminals, the lack of food and shelter, underground Nazi movements that hope to re-emerge and the slow uncovering of vicious Nazi experiments on humans. It's masterfully detailed, and it's super atmospheric. It transported me straight to post-war Germany with an intriguing cast of characters. So that is Miss Graham's Cold War Cookbook by Celia Reese.
0: I gave that one, the arc of that, to my mother, and she really loved
1: it. I just liked it because I felt like it was a different take. One, on a historical fiction tale, kind of a different perspective, but also, I knew nothing about post-war Germany, and so I felt like I learned a lot. There was a lot more happening there than I realized.
0: I think the Cold War is the new World War II, don't you think? There's
1: a whole lot of Cold War books coming out. I definitely think so. And it's an interesting time period, and this kind of helps you understand when you read this book how it comes about with all the maneuvering and everything that was happening following the war.
0: Mm. All right. My next book is Roses by Leela Meacham. So you mentioned her book, Dragonfly, but Roses is part of a series of hers. I think the other one's called Somerset, but I loved it. The best way I can describe this book is it is a East Texas version of Gone with the Wind. And I just ate the whole thing up. There are two warring families in this town. One of them is a cotton tycoon. The other is a timber magnate. There's an unrequited love story and, again, just sweeping drama, and I I loved it from page one to the very end. Yeah, if you love Gone with the Wind or a good story about Texas, definitely pick up Roses by Leela Meacham.
1: So my next book is The Mountain Sing by Nguyen Phan Quay This book is absolutely beautiful. It is so well-written. It's her English debut because she's Vietnamese and she's a Vietnamese poet, So she'd published a number of books in Vietnam about her poetry. But she actually wrote this book in English, which was just absolutely amazing to me because her grasp of the language and the way she's able to tell the story is just simply awe-inspiring and amazing. I don't even know how else to describe it. But her English debut follows multiple generations of the Tran family against the backdrop of Vietnam's heart-rending 20th century history. From the rise of the communist government in North Vietnam to the years of conflict during the war itself. The Mountain Sing is historical fiction at its very finest. It highlights the impact and cost of the events that led up to the Vietnam War, but from the Vietnamese people's perspective, while interweaving the language and traditions of their culture. Mountain Sing is not only a glimpse into Vietnam, but is also a cautionary tale about the impact of a decades-long conflict on the people living through it. I needed lots and lots of tissues, and the family's experiences will stay with me for a long time. This was one of my top reads for 2020, and I am anxiously awaiting her next book. Beautiful cover, too. It definitely is a beautiful cover.
0: All right, my next one is The Fever Tree by Jennifer McVeigh. I recently talked about this one on my Instagram, but I'd like to mention it again here. For some reason, it doesn't have the greatest Goodreads reviews, which I'm really surprised. I read it and gave it five stars and picked it for my personal book club the next month. Interestingly, I just realized three of my books start off in England, and then there's a ship crossing to either South Africa or Australia. So this is the third of that genre. Uh, So Frances is left destitute in England in the wake of her father's sudden death. And she's just sort of kind of a spoiled brat. And she has to marry a man that she really doesn't love. She doesn't understand him. He seems dark and brooding. And so he decides he is going to be a doctor in South Africa. So she has, she's forced to leave England and get on a ship. And here on the ship, she meets another man. And he is so handsome and charming. And there's a little love triangle here. You learn a lot about the diamond industry in Africa. There is a just a beautiful love story in this, and I don't want to even say who it's with, but it is absolutely lovely. It reminded me of the movie, The Painted Veil. It's, it's just so heartwarming to see. So you just see Frances go from this spoiled brat to really maturing and becoming a, a, the woman she needed to be. It is beautiful, and I love selling it. That is The Fever Tree by Jennifer McVeigh.
1: I've never heard of that book, and I somehow missed your post, so I'm going to have to look it up. So if I see the cover, maybe it will ring a bell. But I don't think I know it.
0: Yeah, it's it kind of talks a lot about the history of South Africa and the diamonds and the the smallpox epidemic, and I, I loved it. I loved the love triangle in the story.
1: So my next one is News of the World by Paulette Giles, set in post Civil War era Texas. Giles tells the story of Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, an aging veteran of several wars who travels across Texas reading the news to various towns and communities. When the book opens, Captain Kidd is asked to transport 10-year-old Joanna, who was recently released from captivity by the Kiowa, to her relatives near San Antonio. The pair begins their journey in Wichita Falls, Texas, by the Red River and in Indian Territory, and makes their way south through areas fraught with danger due to the terrain, the various warring Indian tribes and bands of raiders, taking advantage of the lawless Reconstruction Era Texas, I was completely unfamiliar with the concept of a news reader who travels from town to town, disseminating important stories from around the world, and found myself fascinated by Kid's profession. One focus of the book is the difficulty Joanna experiences trying to assimilate back into her native-born culture—an issue many children captured by various Indian tribes experienced upon return to their families or towns. Giles weaves this thread throughout the story and even includes an author's note at the end with additional information on the topic. I love this book so much when I read it, and I regularly recommend it to people. We watched this movie with my teenagers who really became invested in the story and still ask me questions about it, and we still talk about it regularly. I just thought it was such a beautiful story. I was completely unaware of the fact that white children who were taken by Native American tribes and then returned almost always could not assimilate back into their culture, and some of the reasons why people think that was the case. So I just, all the way around, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a small book. It's not a really quick read. She doesn't use quotation marks. So you have to kind of go a little bit slower with the dialogue. But it is a small book, and it's just a beautifully done story.
0: I love that one. My, I think my favorite of hers is Stormy Weather, which takes place also in Texas during the drought of the 1930s.
1: I don't think I've read that one. It
0: was really good.
1: I highly recommend it. Well good. Again, I'll add another one to my list.
0: (laughs) All right, my next one is Mudbound by Hillary Jordan. I read Mudbound right around the same time as I read The Help, which I loved The Help. It's it's still one of my very favorite books. It hasn't aged as well, I guess, now, but Mudbound kind of reminded me of a grittier version of The Help. In this story, it takes place in 1946, right after the war in the Mississippi Delta. And we find that one of the main characters named Laura, her brother-in-law, Jamie, fought in the World War II alongside Ronsell Jackson, who was a Black sharecropper. But they were basically brothers in arms during the war and came back to the Mississippi Delta where Jim Crow is still very, very present. So they go from being very, very close friends to this white man and Black man trying to navigate... The Jim Crow South. So in the story, all the men and the women in each family relate their versions of events, and we are drawn into their lives as they become players in a tragedy on the grandest scale. Barbara Kingsolver, who I really, really love, gave her just a whole lot of Hillary Jordan a whole lot of praise. She said, Our characters walk straight out of the 1940s, Mississippi, and into the part of my brain where sympathy and anger and love reside, leaving my heart racing. They are with me still and I feel the same way as Barbara
1: Kingsolver. I love her blurb that's just beautiful-hmm
0: I think there was a maybe a TV series about it or a Hulu show but you know I always think the, the book is better
1: <laughs> I do too though I keep saying today actually that the movie is held up decently well and I sort of think I usually say I never think they do but the three I've mentioned today the movies haven't been bad at all yeah those are the exceptions. Exactly. So my next one is The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. This is my favorite Marie Benedict book by far. It's about Hedy Lamarr, and I always love anything that takes place in the golden age of Hollywood, so I'm sure that's partly why this story resonates so much with me. But The Only Woman in the Room chronicles the long and accomplished life of Hedy Lamarr, a Hollywood screen star from the 1940s and 50s. Escaping her Nazi-affiliated husband in the dead of night, She arrives in Hollywood, where she launches the acting career for which she is well known. Unable to forget the horrors that she witnessed in Austria, she recruits a partner and they quietly begin working on an invention that she hopes will help the United States with the war against Germany. While the U.S. Navy did not adopt her invention until the 1960s, partly because she was a woman, boo, their work eventually led to the creation of Bluetooth and ultimately Wi-Fi and the cell phone, and they were both inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2014. While I was familiar with Hedy Lamar's acting career, I had absolutely no idea that she had also contributed to an invention that we all rely on today. So I just felt that that part of the story was absolutely fascinating and Sourcebooks did a beautiful job with the book. The end papers have all of these math computations and it's just it's just so well done.
0: That is my favorite of her books as well. It's not even close. <laughs> all right, because I had 2 for 1, this is my actually my last book to recommend today. And it is also the oldest of the books I brought. It was published in 1981, and that is Follow the River by James Alexander Thom. I think about this book every winter, and I'll tell you why. It is the fictionalized true story of Mary Ingalls, not that Mary Ingalls, the other, another one. She's 23 years old in the 1700s, married and pregnant When Shawnee Indians invade her settlement in Virginia, and it's very violent at the beginning. Uh, Men and women, babies were killed in this invasion, and Mary is taken captive. So the Shawnee Indians put her on the back of a horse and travel a thousand miles away to where they were settling. Uh, She lives there for a while. She's treated very well, but she misses her family. So one day she escapes, and travels the thousand miles from, I think it was Ohio, present-day Ohio, to her home in Virginia by following the river. She kind of was able to watch where she was going when the Indians took her away, and she was able to go back. Obviously, no GPS, no map, nothing. She followed the river. And the book talks about, I just remember scenes where she's barefoot and it's freezing outside and she's walking in the snow barefoot. And there's been a couple of times where it's been really cold outside. I've gone to get the paper and I'm barefoot. And I think, good grief, Mary Ingalls did this for a thousand miles. I need to stop bellyaching about how cold I am. They as legend has it, when Mary Ingalls returned to Virginia, her hair was completely white from all the stress of this uh, ordeal. And the Shawnee Indians knew her story and were so in awe of what she did, they left her alone for the rest of her days. So it is a really, really interesting story. Again, my personal book club chose it years ago, and it's one that just makes me happy
1: to see on our shelves. You could pair that with News of the World with a similar subject matter.
0: Absolutely. And you could also pair it with a nonfiction, the book Try by Sebastian Younger, who talks a lot about people who were captured by Indians who really kind of preferred that way of life from their English bringing up or English um, culture.
1: Okay, so I still have two left since you did your two for one. So my 14th book is The Stationery Shop by Marjan Kamali. The cover on this one is what first caught my attention as soon as I saw it. It's intricately done with Persian designs and the colors, these rich jewel tones. It's just stunning. It is about Roya and Bahman, and they meet and fall in love in a neighborhood book and stationery shop in 1953, Tehran. The night before their wedding, the pair agree to meet at the town square, but violence breaks out related to the Iranian revolution, and Bahman disappears. Decades later, a twist of fate reunites them and offers Roya the opportunity to question Bauman about his whereabouts over the years and his seemingly easy ability to disregard their relationship. The stationary shop focuses on the power of love and its ability to endure both distance and time. It is a truly stunning story that has stayed with me, and I think about these characters from time to time still now. Have you read this one? Yes,
0: I have. I loved it. I loved the love story in the story.
1: I agree. And I just loved learning a little bit more about kind of the precursor to the Iranian revolution and what it was like in Tehran in the 1950s.
0: Yeah, sometimes I think I don't really enjoy our life with cell phones, but a lot a lot could have been prevented if they'd had cell phones. Exactly.
1: Which always kind of makes me laugh when I ask authors sometimes like why a book is set in the 80s or 90s and they're like, because there was no cell phone. It ruins a lot of stories. Mystery's gone. Exactly. So my last one is The Woman Before Wallace by Britton Turnbull. In her debut novel, Turnbull tells the story of Thelma Morgan. Thelma is the American woman who was involved with Prince Edward before he took up with Wallace Simpson and made history by abdicating his throne for her. And in fact, Thelma is the woman who introduced Wallace to Prince Edward. While the portions of the book detailing Thelma's relationship with the Prince of Wales are captivating, my very favorite parts are those that include Thelma's twin sister, Gloria Morgan, spouse of Reggie Vanderbilt, son of Cornelius Vanderbilt II and Alice Vanderbilt. Gloria and Reggie were only married for two years before he died from cirrhosis of the liver, but they had one child, the renowned fashion designer and socialite Gloria Vanderbilt. After Reggie's death, Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt was eventually sued for custody of her daughter Gloria by her sister-in-law, Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney, founder of the Whitney Museum of American Art. The sweeping historical fiction tale provides a fascinating glimpse into an earlier era, and Bryn has a new book coming out in February 2022 about Ogil Romanoff, and I have already read it and can't wait to start recommending it to everyone. But back to the Vanderbilts, I pretty much love any story that the Vanderbilts are in. And I guess because there were so many of them, they have their fingers in so many different things. Like I didn't realize until I read this book that Gertrude Vanderbilt had married a Whitney and that they had founded the Whitney Museum and that there was all this drama related to Gloria Vanderbilt in her early years. And I've subsequently read Anderson Cooper's book where he talks more about that. But it's just amazing to me all of the things the Vanderbilts were involved in.
0: Yes, I have a connection with that because my parents were married and, and lived in Newport, Rhode Island, and their their gorgeous summer mansion, the Breakers, is there. And it's just crazy to look at you know this huge, gorgeous mansion that they lived in ten weeks of the year. And so it's it's a Definitely an interesting family, and there's so many interesting stories, but the the story of the fight for custody of Gloria Vanderbilt may be one of the strangest, most bizarre stories I'd never had heard about until I read this book.
1: I agree completely. And I was just up in Newport in the fall, and you had given me some great recommendations on places to eat. But yes, it's just amazing to see some of those homes like the Breakers and then Alva's Home, Marble House. Just kind of crazy that they spent such little time there, but built those ginormous homes.
0: Yes, this was before um, income tax. (laughs) We could have done the same thing.
1: Yes, absolutely. When you walk the cliff walk, you know, there are some of these homes that are owned by the Conservation Society or other independent groups that are having the homes open to tour, but there are plenty that are privately owned still today, which I just find Mm mind-boggling. It's a beautiful area. It is. We had so much fun there. But Elizabeth, thank you as always for joining me. I love historical fiction, so this was a particularly fun one to delve into. You actually mentioned some books I'm not even familiar with at all, so now I've got an even longer list and can't wait to go back and pick up some of them.
0: Yes, I'm the same way. There's several here that sound so interesting and Reminds me how much I love historical fiction.
1: Me too. So thanks again, and I look forward to you coming on again next time. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider becoming a page-turner in my Patreon program. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast, and I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts,